3: This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher
4: on v Okay, Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM here on v the Sports Betting Network. I'm Patrick Maher. He is Michael Lombardi. Uh, A good tease by Michael about Drew Brees, who's out at NBC. He left the door wide open. So I'm going to get to that in just a second. But this just popped up. And yesterday, Michael had a great breakdown of the Patriots coming into the season, which you can find at Live on Twitter. Always go back and check out the clips. But this just made me laugh, so I wanted to relay it to you. Uh, Mike Reese, who you know well, he got a quote from Joe Judge. So, again, the Patriots are coming into the season. They don't have an offensive coordinator that we know of. They don't have a defensive coordinator. Here is Joe Judge's quote about who he's going to be working with. Quote, I'm working with Mac along with some other people. I work with all the skill group. I'd say all of us are working collectively as a coaching unit to work with the entire offense. In terms of who is coaching each, po- each position, you'll see me working with the quarterbacks. So it's starting to become cl- very clear to me that your buddy Bill Belichick, this is, this is concerted in the sense that he wants there to be some mystery around who's doing what. And even it sounds like there's some, he's keeping everybody on their toes within the organization.
3: Well, yeah, I mean everybody's accountable every single day. I mean look, Matt Patricia's gonna coach the line. I mean, they they let they let Carmen, the the offensive line coach last year, go to the Raiders. You know, and, and they loved Carmen. And Carmen was a really good coach for him, did a great job kind of getting that line going. But with Patricia, remember Patricia's reputation is as a defense coordinator, that's how he became the head coach of the Lions. But his initial entree into the New England Patriots organization came on the offensive side. I mean, Dante was the one who brought him into New England. He was his intern. He was graduate assistant. Mm. So he has worked with the offensive line. Now, it's been a while, obviously. But one thing about being a defense coordinator – and going over to the offensive side of the ball, you understand how teams want to attack you. You understand how to attack the protections. The fundamentals and the techniques that he's got to teach and convey to this offensive line is going to be the critical area. And then there's Joe Judge, and Joe's going to learn the offense. The one year he spent at receiver, he understands it. But they're retaloring the offense back. So it's going to be a different version of what they all know. It's going to be simplified so everyone can understand it. And I think they're going to work out the Kinks and I don't think there's anything written in stone yet. I think the one thing that I know working with coach Belichick is you're gonna you're gonna have to prove you can keep doing it and just because you get it doesn't mean you're naturally going to keep it.
4: So could this have an adverse effect on Jones or is that just outsiders like myself that have
3: no clue what's going on? Oh I think it could have an. I think it certainly could because look the quarterback you know it's funny I was working on Brady this morning and and through Brady it's certainly McDaniels and since Brady since 2002 or 1 when they won the Super Bowl with the exception of the 08 season the Patriots have scored to Brady's last year 8,033 points they averaged just a shade under 28 points per game okay over that long long period of time with different names changing at receiver offensive line not that not a quarterback running back but they understand how to move the football, and certainly Brady was instrumental in delivering those, those, those key numbers. But that being said, now is the time for them to go back and try to get everybody back to that 0-2 level where they're just building something for Mac. I think that's what we'll see, the return. To think Mac's going to continue on the same program that Brady was on is a little bit far, foreign.
4: I know we did this yesterday, but just something that stood out to me, if we could throw that up, Matt Santos, the Patriots schedule, it's a very interesting first four weeks, isn't it? At yeah, the Dolphins, which is always tricky. Tomlin, you and I have talked about at the Steelers. Ravens at Packers. That is a gauntlet to start, Michael.
3: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, well, look, you always look at a schedule at who, what quarterbacks you're playing. Now you got Tua, you got Trubisky. So you got, you know, there's two games you got to split. you got to be able to find a way to win one of those two games. Then you get Lamar and you get Aaron, right? And then you get Jared Goff. Come you get Jared Goff, and you get maybe you get Watson in week six. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's a six-game suspension. I don't know. But to me, when we're doing over/unders, when we're looking at schedules, right down the quarterbacks you're facing, and they open up with two really good quarterbacks. They don't open up with two. Great, they don't have four great quarterbacks. They open up with. You know, and then they get into the part of their schedule where it gets a little bit easier, whether it's the Lions with Goff, Watson may not be there, the Bears, is Fields going to be the guy, who is it, the Jets, where's Zach Wilson, you know, and then Matt Ryan with the Colts before they get to the bye. So it starts hard. But the one thing you know, you're not starting against, you know, you're not starting against the elite quarterback. You're not starting against That's Patrick fair. Mahomes and Justin Herbert. You know, you're not starting that way. That, that would be a lot harder.
4: Week six at the Browns, as an aside, are you hearing anything about potential suspensions?
3: No, but when you look at the Browns' initial schedule when it comes out, I think they open up at Carolina. They play Atlanta. Uh, they, they, play a, they play Pittsburgh in week th- two of the season. I mean, it's, it looks like it, it, it's an easy way to get started. But who knows? I mean, I don't know how anybody can judge that. I really don't.
4: Yeah, there you go. You got it. I mean, was this the schedule makers kind of trolling us with at the Panthers to start in case (laughs) – in case Mayfield gets moved to the Panthers. It's just funny to me.
3: I mean, I, I just find it so ironic that here he is <laughs> on, you know, a, the, the, and they did this last year, and I, and I still think it's going to happen. I think even with Matt Corral there and even with Sam Darnold, I do think Mayfield will end up playing for the Carolina Panthers. Will he be the starter on week one? I don't know that. I don't know that. But I do think there's, that that's trending in a direction that it may happen. It could break down. Look, the Browns have no options. I mean, they have no options. The only thing they can do is hope for an injury and do the Sam Bradford thing. Okay, you hurt, we'll trade you Sam Bradford, and here you go. And here's to give us two number ones and see what you think. That's not going to happen. You know, they're
4: favored in division, that being the Browns. I know.
3: Well, because, they, you know, on paper, again, it's only paper, but they have a guy that fits what they do offensively. He, he's a movement quarterback who could throw the ball down the field. He can place drop back better than Mayfield can. And they've got Nick Chubb, and they've got a bunch of good players. Kareem Hunt in the backfield, a really good offensive line. They've added some receivers to the team, whether you, whether you like and uh, Amari Cooper or not. But he's there, and he's explosive. So there's a lot to like about this Brown team. But what goes underneath the current a little bit with Cleveland is their inability to slow people down on third down last year and how bad their defense was at critical times of the season.
4: They were everybody's darling last year. Remember coming in off the postseason loss in Kansas City, a lot of futures bets placed on the Browns last year. They finished 8-9. So, again, like you said, paper, it looks good. We shall see once we get to uh, the regular season. Okay. I teased you on it. So Drew Brees was, I don't know if it was a let go or they decided in unison with NBC that his time was done there. But then he tweeted out over the weekend what he might do. He said he might coach his kids. He might get involved in philanthropy. He might work for NBC again. And he might play
3: football again. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure so Jameis was thrilled to hear it, uh, but wow. Well, I mean, look, look. one thing we know about Drew Brees now, Drew Brees isn't playing football. I mean, you try to negotiate a contract with Drew Brees I mean, and Tom Condon and his agent, you think Brees is coming back for the veteran minimum? I mean, you could forget about that. You know, he was due to make 20, I think he made 25 million his last year there when he played, you know, when he, when he really couldn't throw the ball over 10 yards. I mean, let's be clear here. I mean, the one thing we've seen, at the end of Drew Brees' time in New Orleans, his inability to throw the ball down the field. We all – nobody would acknowledge it on air, but we all saw it. It was clear, and they did everything in their power to hide it. You know, the national broadcast, national media never talked about we as a betting network kept talking about how the offense was shrunk and they couldn't do anything. So forget about him coming back to play. To me, that's ridiculous. First of all, who's going to pay him to come back to play? Who's going to give him the money? And and, he, and can he even play? So let's – you know – So to me, this was about how do I spin the attention back on myself? Like, how do I spin it? You know, Andrew Marchand of the New York Post came out and said that he was basically they're separating whatever that is. I don't know. And that he's not going to be part of a a football night in America. He's going to move on. So, you know, maybe he is going to go do. broad. he wants to do broadcasting. But when he had that opportunity with NBC, it didn't really shine very brightly, whether it was college or pro.
4: So you believe maybe the comeback tweet was a little jestful, maybe
3: made in jest? I mean, yeah, I think there's no doubt. I mean, I think there's no doubt. I think that, you know, it's just, it's just a, a, you know, a way to kind of distract everybody and get people looking at different things and guessing. What is the need?
4: That, that is an insatiable need for attention. If I had all that money, I'd love just to go and hide, read my books, Traveling. Well they,
3: you know, I mean you're so used to getting the attention on you. You're That's so fair. used to yeah. from when you know, they were kids. I mean, all of a sudden you go from being you go from being popular and being, you know, to where nobody even knows who the hell you are. You know, it's like, okay. And you have to transition yourself to a second career. I mean, it happens to all of us, you know. You've got to find a second career, and, and some people, Peyton Manning, obviously, Tom Brady's going to do it. Some people do it really well. Some people are very reluctant to take that giant step forward. And he, obviously,
4: he's so uber competitive. So if it was the perception was that he wasn't very good on NBC, like that probably fuels him, right? That he he doesn't want to have yeah. his legacy left with something that was a failure.
3: Right. And I'm sure it's not his fault that he wasn't good on TV. You know, I mean, you know, to me, television is about, you know, we talked about this with Hubie Brown. You've got to say things in a five sentence, three sentence at the minimum, at the maximum where you're going to educate people on, on the game. You know, educate them. Tell us about the game. What's going on inside the game? You know, what's happening? You know, we didn't even hear about the switches between both. Bull- you know, I mean, we're watching that NBA game, the stuff that, that the coaches were doing in the game. We didn't hear about it last night. We didn't get any of the details on why Dallas, a team that held a team to under 100 points that was that never been held under 100 points, what they were doing defensively. Uh,
4: and you get that with Hubie. By the way, Hubie doing what he's doing at 88, just as impressive as Tom, Tom Brady doing what he's doing at 44.
3: Exactly. Well said, Patrick. Right? Very because well I mean, but he his, hasn't lost his curiosity. His curiosity. He hasn't lost his curiosity. He he's still out there, and you know, you listen to him. He talks about he's not in love with the, with the obsession of the three point play. He's not in love with that. He thinks basketball is about controlling the backboards, being physical. But he
4: understands where the game is today. He's so curious and passionate, and that keeps him sharp. We'll be back. It's Lombardi Line.
0: That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree.
3: You're listening to the Lombardi Line on VSEN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher.
4: Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. Here on VSEN, the Sports Betting Network. Hope you're having a nice Monday. I'm Patrick Maher, live from the VSEN studios here at the South Point. It appears over my shoulder, Michael. They've got a bowling tournament going on here. Are you a good bowler?
3: No, me neither. No, me no. neither.
4: I'm terrible. No. Uh, I mean, it's
3: a good event to go to. You know? It's good
4: to have a couple of beers and, ch- and chill out, hang out with the friends. But, yeah, that's not my thing. Uh, before, uh, Santos has got a bunch for us, including Comeback Player of the Year, which I want to ask you about. But before we do yeah. that, the, um, mm-hmm. we talked about Jason Kidd, who nets, bucks, and now is really thriving and seems to have really grown as a coach in his third iteration with the Mavs. Can you think of a good corollary as far as the NFL is concerned? I mean, most point to Belichick, of course, with the Browns. And, but uh, he, was a, he was a very good coach then. Um, but he has right. learned quite a bit. Can you think of somebody that really, given a second or third opportunity in the NFL, where maybe people were dubious and they really took advantage of, this, of the opportunity?
3: Well, I think Marv Levy was a good example. I mean, he got caught up in a bad situation in Kansas City when they had the strike, and Frank Gantz, the special teams coach, kind of kind of took the team over, and then he had to go back to Canada where he was very good up in Canada, and then he came back to Buffalo in the right situation with the right team. So, you know, I, I mean, the NBA has a lot of guys that have gone through this metamorphosis. I mean, Lenny Wilkins, did he? you know, he was fired a couple times before he became the good coach with the Cavs. But I think what makes Jason so good is is he has really worked hard at becoming a better leader, you know, and, and he's got his trusted guys that he has on the bench. Sean Sweeney, his, his uh, defensive coach assistant, who's who's a friend of mine and does a wonderful job there, a very young coach, huge Notre Dame fan. Uh, but he is, you know, they get the players to buy in. It's all about getting the players to buy in. If you talk to anybody on the Mavericks staff, the first thing they'll tell you is, Jason has been able to get the players to buy in, to do what they want them to do. When you look at the opposite of that, is when you see Doc wanting to get his team to do it, they, they didn't do it. They didn't buy in. Right. Now, where's that disconnect? That's Maury's job to figure it out. You know, and that disconnect that happened in Milwaukee, you know, I think what Jason was able to do was learn how to connect better. And look, they've got they've got their best player connected to what they want to do. Again, the Jeff Van Gundy quote, you know, your best player must set the tone of intolerance for anything that's in the way of winning. And and Luca has been doing that. He's bought in to what Jason's selling. Last year with Carlisle it wasn't the case. There was a lot of tension within that organization with Carlisle. And, you know, they weren't kind of where they needed to go and give Mark Cuban credit. He made a decision to hire a guy that wasn't it wasn't a popular hire by no means. But it's proven to be a really good hire. And Jason has improved has improved his coaching.
4: It's been well documented. So I'm not, you know, gossiping. But I think Jason Kidd has matured as a human being off the court, which has in turn made him a better coach and more focused. You know, he went through a lot and now he seems to be a different person, which is the focus now is all about coaching.
3: Well, I think what he's done is accepted a second career, right? You know, I mean, he's a competitive guy. He wants to have a great second career. And so he's, he's no longer, he realizes there's more to this coaching than just, hey, I'm Jason Kidd, let's play. Like, right. yeah, you were a great player. I mean, 90% of these guys don't even remember Jason Kidd as a player. That's half the battle. You know, it's, it's like you, you go to an NFL locker room today and you start talking about some of your great players from the past. Half the guys don't even know who the hell they are. I mean, I promise you, Belichick this weekend with that rookie class went through a lot of the great Patriot players that have played on that field before, and I'm not talking about just the, the recent from 20 from Brady on. I'm talking about John Hanna, one of the great players. You, you know, Andre Tippett. You know, you've got to educate the players on these paths, and when you can get them to buy into their heritage and their history, you tune them into what you want to do.
4: Marv Levy's a great one. I- for some, I thought Andy Reid, but Andy Reid's had such an interesting career because he was so good as the Eagles coach, never
3: broke through. He just had the one bad. He had the one bad year. I mean, and 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 I think Andy got to the point in Philly where it became a little bit, you know, his voice. I mean, this happens to great coaches too. Your voice, you know, because you're in front of them all the time you know, you, you've got to have a message that resonates. And I think sometimes, you know, they're not listening to me. I mean, there's a great clip of Brady and Belichick down in New Orleans where, you know, Belichick's complaining about how he can't get the team to tune in. He can't seem to get them going. And, you know, and that happens to all coaches. How do you change that? And when there's strife from within – when you have that conflict, it becomes very challenging. I mean, it's pretty clear Doc can't get anybody to buy into what he's selling. Is it Doc's fault? I don't know. I think it's the, I think it's the best player's fault because he, he's, not, he's never bought into anybody. He's on his own program.
4: You know, we, I lamented the futility of the Detroit Lions, and while we were talking about this, I just thought of something. I don't think the Lions have ever had a head coach ever that's went on to become a head coach elsewhere. That, I'm gonna look this up, but it might, I'm pretty sure throughout their history, they've never had a head coach. You mean as an assistant coach? No, as like the the Detroit Lions head coach, then went on to be a head coach elsewhere.
3: Meaning that they've just they got with Detroit. Well, they had Walt Parker. They had Walt. They had. Uh... You know, they had, they've they had a few back in the 50s, Maybe, right? yeah,
4: back in the championship days in the 50s before back the merger. Back the,
3: when they were good, they did. But since that time, I mean, they've I mean, had – look, they've been an organization that has been rudderless because they've had this corporate mentality – They've had this, you know, they don't understand really what culture. they got an accountant now running the team, overseeing everything. They're bringing ex-players back in, you know, Rick, uh, Chris Spielman, you know, because he, you know, this is what he, because they, they listen to him on TV. They think he knows what he's doing. It's saying. And so this is where they are. And yeah. they hired a new general manager who's never really involved with the pro game. He's been a college scout. So it's going to take some time.
4: We've we've it's been taking time since 1957. Okay. Comeback player of the year. Oh my goodness. um, You know, some of these are fascinating. These are numbers uh, via bet MGM. What's fascinating to me is the shortest number as far as comeback player of the year is Derek Henry at three and a half to one. Jameis Winston at six and a half to one, and then Deshaun Watson seven to one. Deshaun Watson was suspended. How is
3: he? How does he qualify as comeback?
4: Two years ago, he's he he a he top five play. quarterback. He didn't play last year because of. of yeah, I don't understand know, what like, the qualification is. Let's is throw up the Cumber's. numbers. Take a look, Michael. Three yeah, and a half. How is Derek Henry? Derek Henry was awesome last year.
3: Yeah, I mean that's that's not a pretty group right there. You know, I mean. McCaffrey if he could play for sixteen games at sixteen to one jumps out, it's just so, so does J. K. Dobbins. You know, Baker Mayfield, I think if Baker Mayfield – look, I'm not a Baker Mayfield fan. I think his limitations in drop-back pass game I've documented numerous times. But I do think he's got a competitive fiber to him. And I think if he gets into a situation like the NFC South where he's playing for Carolina, they're going to run the ball, they've got a good defense, they're going to play. You know, he could do some good things. I don't think Mariota would stay healthy. I'm not sure I could say that Trubisky going to be the starter. Michael Thomas, you know, it's all the – to me, if Michael Thomas is getting numbers, you're better off betting Winston because Winston's the guy giving him the numbers.
4: Speaking of Michael Thomas, um, so we
3: do a – But, I mean, I don't understand – Yeah, like, I don't get the is,
4: qualifications. I don't get the stipulations. Like, like Deshaun Watson's – and I'm trying to be careful here, but, the, you know, it wasn't like – He's coming back from something. He's coming back from being suspended. Two years ago, as you said, he was a top three quarterback, what he did with Houston two years ago.
3: Right. So let's take Henry, for example, right? Henry's got, you know, he carried the ball over 200 times last year. He scored 10 touchdowns rushing. You know, he didn't have 1,000 yards, but he had 937 yards. I mean, uh, that is a pretty good year for most backs, He's coming back from being
4: awesome? Like, that's
3: the comeback? Yeah, I mean, like, how is that, you know, like, how does that qualify as a comeback? You know, like, I could see if he missed the whole, like, Deontay Foreman, you know, when he just shows up off the street and averages 4.3 and he didn't have a career, there's a comeback for you, you know? But, like, I don't get that one as a comeback, you know? It's like saying Ryan Tannehill is going to be comeback player. He started seventeen games. He didn't play as well as he did last year. He did three years ago. Does that mean he's going to come back? I don't know.
4: You know what's fascinating about McCaffrey at sixteen to one? It does a player. Does the success of a organization hinge upon a player more? If McCaffrey's healthy, you, you, got, you got a good team. <laughs> like they're going to score. They could do things differently offensively. Yeah, but the problem
3: is, you say that. The problem is, he's never healthy. He's, ne- he's literally you, you have to never healthy. You quantify it. I mean. He's never healthy. I mean, the last two years, he's played 10 games. He's played 10 games, you know. And so he's played five years in the league. He's played, he started 52 games. It's averages 10 games a year, you know. And so, like, you know, the, three years ago in 19, when he was Offensive Player of the Year, he was third place. He was at Pro Bowl. You know, he was sensational. He was gained 1,300 yards rushing at 15 touchdowns. You know, he was, you know, averaged, you know, at 58 receptions. He was doing tremendous, but we haven't seen him since then. The irony about McCaffrey. Hamstring. I mean, of all things, he's got a hamstring. In week three of the season, He put then he got a shoulder. I mean, in 10, he played three. Since Matt Rule's been there, he's played 10. So, if you're Matt Rule, how do you even count on him? You almost go into it. To me, he qualifies for for a comeback player. Because if he posts those 19 numbers, he wins.
4: You know, that offensive staff, you almost go into it as thinking of him as a bonus like if we get him
3: he's a luxury i I say he's a complete luxury luxury. a complete luxury
4: and the irony is he's the one always on instagram flexing about his workouts and stuff like that
3: dude stay healthy durability
4: (laughs) matters yeah it certainly does okay we got more to come here lombardi line josh is joining us next
3: to the Lombardi line on v featuring former NFL executive, Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher
4: spring is in the air and we've got a spring special v spring. It's 59 bucks. Think about what you get for $59 all the way through July 31st. You get everything, including Adam Burke's daily best bets in major league baseball, Jonathan Vontobel, all the way through the NBA finals, Annie McNeil, all the way through the Stanley cup playoffs. We've got everything, including preseason coverage, the NFL, and, you know, remember, you got golf, UFC, USFL, NASCAR, plenty of ways to make money, and we've got you covered with the spring special, including point spread weekly. It's vcin.com slash spring. That's vcin.com slash spring, as we got you back here. Should be starting to warm up over there on the East Coast. We're actually here in Vegas. You're going to start to see ones. It's, you know, the temperature for the next four months is going to start with a one, whether it's 100, yeah. 101, 115, but we we're not going to get many nines moving forward here, Michael Lombardi. it's going to be hot, now, hot when
3: did the nines come in September?
4: the nines start to come yeah, I mean it's September is pretty still pretty hot, but you're going to get the nines then you really April, May, June, July July and August it's all 100s you're never going to see a Got nine it. but September is still pretty much hundreds. Uh, You'll see Mick and the family, they're they're going
3: to it's an adjustment, although they probably got a sweet pool. No, they got a nice pool, you know, but you got little kids. You got to make sure you you can't you can't just let them run around back there.
4: (laughs) You got to be careful with the king and the crew in the back there. Get a lifeguard out there. Uh, We have our buddy Josh Applebaum joining us, who he got the Boston split this weekend. So on Saturday, when he had his rager at the house, the new house, uh, his Bruins lost to Carolina. And then yesterday, a little uplifting, right? Because the Celtics beat up on the Bucks. And by the way, you didn't really have to sweat that game much there, Josh.
2: Yeah, Patrick, Michael, great to be with you. Michael, by the way, congrats on finishing your book. Epic, epic accomplishment. You there. finished Can't it. Can't wait to read it. So, yeah, yeah I didn't did. see the I tweet.
3: T- no, I didn't. So it's all done. Well, it's not, and it, you know, now I, I send the manuscript to my editor of the publisher and then, you know, we have to shape the book. It's much longer than, thank you, Josh, for mentioning, it's yeah. much longer than I think they anticipated. It's going to be, I mean, I submitted 165,000 words, <laughs> over 450 pages. So, you know, it's it's a, it, it became a longer project than I initially had thought. But to me, once I got into it and it felt, it just felt more comfortable doing it that way. So... We still haven't had a title which is probably the most disappointing thing that that i have because to me then you can start selling the book if you have a title
4: yeah good job with that josh congratulations michael that's awesome and i've had an opportunity to read a couple sections of it and it's gonna be awesome 450 pages is that what you told me
3: yeah well i mean that's what you you know when you turn it in i mean that's what it looks it's one hundred and sixty-two thousand words i don't know how much that'll translate plus it's going to get edited down so but I don't, you know, there's a the, the hundred players that I wrote up are, is a ninety-eight thousand words, and I don't think I want to lose any of those words. So,
4: well, it is always interesting for me. I work with Tolstoy and Oscar Wilde in the middle there, and I'm just a guy that <laughs> writes nothing. Uh, of course, Josh, with the everything guy to sports betting as well. Um, so series prices. I thought the Warriors seemed a little heavy. The Celtics being one sixty-five-ish favorites. That's it seemed about right, Josh.
2: Yeah seems about right here and kind of what surprised me guys is you know this early game one line so you mentioned it Patrick you know even though you're having this the Celtics here you know coming off that long series against the Bucs and you look at kind of the rest advantage here Miami hasn't played you know since the 12th they've been off since Thursday you look at Boston again they played Sunday was notable to me with that game guys you know heavy betting on the dog there fade the trend dog opportunity line didn't move off Celtics minus five so that kind of told us some liability on Boston but Yeah, Patrick, Celtics minus 165 to win the series. I'm seeing some other books. BetMGM, you're closer to around minus 185. But Really what I'm looking at, guys, is maybe jumping on the Celtics a little bit early here because we're showing minus one and a half for game one tomorrow uh, in favor of the Miami Heat. We've look at where this opened. It actually opened right as that game ended yesterday, uh, last night. It opened at minus 2.5 heat. So the Heat opened laying 2.5. They're getting a slight majority of bets. They have this big rest advantage. They're at home ready to go. Yet we've seen over the last 24 hours Celtics plus 2.5. Uh, fall to plus two now to plus one and a half. I see one book going to plus one. So this line is moving toward Boston again, despite the fact that the heat are rested and ready to go. You've also seen a big line move here to the under, you know, it open at a very low two Oh six. I think anytime the public sees such a low number, it's like if they got, to, you know, they got to go over, they have got to at least score hundred each or a little bit more than that. Yet we've seen it fall to two Oh four. So this would match up in terms of unders guys. They've been awesome. This postseason. 49 and 26, 65%. The real uh, system match here would be unders that fall at least a half point, 29 and 12, 71%. So looking at this line going to Boston, looking at this under falling a bit, then you also go to that Mavs Warriors game, that's fallen plus five and a half down to plus five in favor of Luka right now.
4: In favor? Yeah, I think there is going to be, you know, market can be swayed by an individual player, Michael, and Luka is certainly that one yeah. that people are gravitating towards right now.
3: Right. I think it's also, too, there's this fallacy that, you know, Miami's on this rest, right? But Boston's, you know, one thing about these series, you want to keep playing. You, you kind of, they're in a groove. They're going, you know, and they're playing well. And I think the better sees that as, hey, they're playing well. They're playing, they're, 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 they're competing. And I don't, and I, like I said, I, I didn't see anywhere of the rest at all of, of being tired in that game as hard as they played, too. I thought they played really hard, Boston, and they kept playing hard.
4: Are you bullish on your Celtics? And I'll ask you as an overview, but also how about coming up tomorrow night down in Miami? You know, I think the turnaround lends itself to this number. Josh, where where are you at on the series and uh,
2: tomorrow night, Tuesday? So, I mean, if you're getting Miami Heat, number one seed, home court advantage, plus money, and what are they, Patrick, like plus 150? I mean, I can't argue with anyone laying that number. I think if you're going to bet Boston, maybe you're going to look at, you know, rolling over the money line or taking the points in these spots. The situation Celtics are in in game one, they've done very well this year as a dog, including the postseason. They're 5-0 and against the spread as a dog on the year, including the regular season. They're 18-8. and against the spread is a dog. And I think if you're bullish on the Celtics, it's because when their backs are against the wall, they've won every time, you know, you lose, uh, you know, a game to Milwaukee, you come back the next game, you win it. The fact that they've had that bounce back factor and you know, Grant Williams, a guy that you don't really expect much from he's hitting, you know, threes every time you look back at the game. So to me, that's why you're liking the Celtics. It's not just Tatum. It's not just Brown. You're getting some support here uh, from other players. And then also, you know, looking at the playoff or NBA finals, MVP guys, Keep an eye on Jason Tatum. He opened plus 1,200. He's down to plus 275. He's only getting 8% of bets, but almost 15% of money. And the Sun's getting knocked out. That's been a godsend to a lot of these sportsbooks because a lot of these you know, finals MVP with Booker, with Chris Paul, they're all done. All these futures are done with the Sun. So I think the oddsmakers are excited. Curry's still the favorite here, as he should be. But Tatum's had a big move in his favor. And you've got to imagine if the Celts can you know, get Banner 18 here, Tatum's probably going to be the guy to lead him there.
4: You would think so until Grant Williams attempts 18 3 pointers <laughs> in a game seven, yeah. <laughs> which I mean, he didn't even come into the league as a shooter.
3: It, it's, it's like it, it's it's really otherworldly. It shows his work ethic, right? He shows sure. he's changed his game. He's worked at it, and you know, it's one thing to work at it; it's another thing to have confidence to do it, right? I mean, he had confidence to do it. I mean, and they were they, they doubled down. They said he wouldn't be able to keep making shots. He wouldn't be able to take the shots. He would get scared by the That's presence right. of the game seven and he didn't
4: yeah you nailed it and credit his coach for having confidence in him as well is is the buzz real and legit there for the Celtic team there in New England Josh
2: well we got no other choice right now Patrick Bruins are done the Red Sox are terrible I would say Michael I wanted to mention this to you and Patrick said it was going to be hot do you personally know Ernie Adams did you see when they unveiled the schedule he's going through each game he's got a little comment he said Miami game one going to be hot down there (laughs) I, I started laughing that was that was fantastic
3: well, I could say this. I've been with Ernie before, and one of the one thing that stands out to me, I used to say all the time, Ernie had this unique ability that he had like Batman's utility belt with him all the time. So we're getting ready to take a trip. We're leaving Cleveland. It's, it's two weeks before the draft. It's in the middle of April. We're going to fly a private plane to North Dakota. Then we're going to go from North Dakota. We're going to Nebraska, then Kansas State. We're going to end up working out Andre Ware down at Houston, and we're going to do it all in a matter of four, six hours, right? We land in North Dakota to work out this offensive center, and it's a blizzard. 90-mile-an-hour winds coming in one direction. I mean, I could still see when we landed a plane. I'm like, how did this happen? I get off the plane. it's The wind's blowing me around. Ernie's completely dressed perfectly for the weather. None of us, including Belichick or Nick Saban, had anything to keep us warm. We're freezing. And then the next place, he had another outfit. I mean, it was just unbelievable. He he is Proulx a savant when it comes to the weather.
4: So preparedness is his thing. Like he was always a okay, step no ahead. Doubt. Okay. So now you yeah, understand. Meanwhile,
3: the whole the whole trip, he's reading Shelby Foote's book about this history of the Civil War. And <laughs> of course, I mean, and, and I'm just trying to stay warm.
4: <laughs> we talked about that. The uh schedule and veil, you know, a lot of teams went glossy with it. I thought Ernie Adams at that whiteboard, just reading the schedule, was a stroke of brilliance. He never from PR. you know, it's
3: funny they put the whiteboard, they should have put the blackboard up there. Although he did get to whiteboards, he never changed to to he they he always had a beta cam in his office. He never went to digital video. <laughs> they still had to make a beta cam for him because he didn't quite like Al Davis, he didn't know how to work the remote on the other way. That is hilarious. <laughs>
4: That is great. Hey, Josh, by the way, Tampa Bay and Florida, it might be the series that I've looked forward to more than any in the Stanley cup playoffs over the last like 10 years. What's the series price before we get out of here?
2: I don't have it in front of me, Patrick, but I would say it's going to be a great series keeping out for the totals in that one. You've seen a lot of oversight. I could see a lot of, you know, five, four games, something like that. Overs are like 65% in the playoffs. That's going to be a great series. Patrick. Market
4: Insights is the pod, betting across America is the show. He is Josh Applebaum. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Appreciate Good luck today, guys. Okay. Thank you, Josh. Coming back here, Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM.
1: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury
3: listening to the Lombardi line on BSN featuring former NFL
1: executive Michael Lombardi. Now once again, here's Patrick Maher.
4: Okay, it's the loyalty program over at BetMGM, the King of Sportsbooks Unleash the spirit of Vegas with BetMGM re- rewards. You can also convert those rewards. So it's like a credit card. Every time you bet at BetMGM or use the app, you get reward points, which are redeemable for online bonuses. You can also convert them into comps at MGM Resorts Nationwide. So check it out. It's a great loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks. 21 years or older, 1-800-GAMBLER if you have an issue. Michael Lombardi there. Um Patrick Maher here. This is the Lombardi line. On a Monday, hope you had a nice weekend as we got you back here. Um you know, so much was made about Malik Willis and Ryan Tannehill. Mm. Well, here's a feel good story. New Orleans Saints rookie Chris Olave is learning on the fly with his new teammate Michael Thomas. We talked about the Saints on the show yesterday and that receiving core uh, obviously, taking a big step forward with Thomas returning, they drafted Olave. They signed Jarvis Landry, but Thomas welcomed the fellow Ohio State receiver over FaceTime shortly after he was drafted, and then invited Olave to come stay with him and work out. Olave right. said, "I couldn't turn it down." Who spent a week and a half with Thomas before flying to New Orleans for this weekend's rookie mini camp. So it's a nice little feel-good story out of uh, New Orleans there with the wide receivers, Michael.
3: And, and- And different situation, right? Sure. Three receivers are on the field 90%, 85% of the time in the National Football League now. There's only one quarterback on the field, you know, so they're, you know, the competition amongst Willis and Tannehill is different than Alave and Thomas. Yes. You know, there's three guys going to be on the field, so there's a different set of camaraderie. It's like offensive linemen kind of herd themselves together. You know, they're not competing against, they're competing against a guy for a position, but there's five guys going to play.
4: And your boy, to, to his credit, Malik Willis, was quoted as saying, quote, it was never anything negative. Ryan's a good dude. Everything yeah. was cool. He had us over to the house the other day and gave us a little bit of game regarding what comes with the process. I mean, so much was made about that. Tannehill was being, you know, Tannehill was very open also about having to go to therapy after that loss in the postseason. I, I thought he was awesome in that press conference.
3: You know, I I do, too. I think we just you know, there's a story that wants to get put out there and then there's the real story if you analyze it. And we as as consumers of so much data, we've got to be able to make that decision because there's a story that's being fed to us. If you want to buy it, go ahead. There's the reality of it, you know. And so I think that's what we have to as consumers of information. You've got to it's the same thing in, 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 in data. You know, there's so much information coming to you in terms of what determines the NBA game, what happens in the NFL. You've got to make that decision on what's really relevant and what isn't.
4: Well, speaking of Alave, let's go ahead and throw the graphic up for Michael. NFL offense, great great job by Matt Santos, as always, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Let's go ahead through... These numbers, and we can kind of paint the bigger picture, right? While looking at these numbers, you see Alave down there at 11 to 1, along with the Chiefs receiver, Sky Moore. Kenneth Walker, running back there with Seahawks, also 11 to 1. Then you go to the top. Kenny Pickett is 5 to 1 to be the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Drake London behind him at 8.5 to 1. So quite a drop off there, Michael.
3: Well, I I think, you know, Drake London, I mean, first of all, Drake London's got a couple things going against him. He's got a bad offensive line blocking his quarterback, and he's got a quarterback who has a propensity to get injured. And we hope he doesn't in Marcus Mariota, but he does past performance predicts future achievement. So if you're going to play, lay down Drake London as a potential guy to be rookie of the year, you're counting on Mariota to have a good year. You know, whereas if you're going to p- play it with Pickett, you're you're counting on Pickett winning the starting job against Mitchell Trubisky, which, you know, you could make that case. And you're counting on him having a decent year. Will he have a Mac Jones year? I don't know. You know, will he have a Mac Jones year? I mean, I think if I felt good about the Jets, I like Bryce Hall at plus – What is that, plus 800? Yep. You know, do I think Garrett Wilson's – I don't think they're the same value because I think when you look at the Jets, Corey Davis is going to get some balls. Elijah Moore is going to get some ball. Braxton Barrios is going to get some ball. I mean, is there going to be enough to really make Wilson stand out? Maybe he's an elite player above and beyond those guys. I'm not so sure about that. You know, Jamison Williams, can can a guy go to a team that's not very good and get rookie of the year that's a receiver to me? I think Christian Watson at 850. You know, he's fast, he's athletic, and he's going to be on the field and he's got the best quarterback. So, to me, I like Bryce Hall and Watson of that group that you just put up there. I mean, it is,
4: I guess, within the realms of possibility that Christian Watson could be wide receiver one there in in his rookie year. Well, I don't know
3: if it matters if he's one or two, but he's going to get the ball. Yeah, you he's going to get the he's ball. Gonna he's going to get, gonna get, the get ball ton a ton of looks. Yep. He's going to get looks. I mean, what we're talking about is getting looks, right? We're talking about that, can he learn the offense and can he get looks. Is he going to be able to – is he going to be Devontae Adams? No. Look, we understand he's not going to be Devontae Adams. But what we want to be able to do is, you know, we know Devontae Adams had 170 targets last year. So that's a lot of targets that he looked for. Scantling, Valdez Scantling had 55. So now we're talking about 230 targets have to be distributed somewhere along the way, right? They threw it 570 times last year. So you got to feel like if this kid stays healthy, doesn't pull a hamstring, learns the offense, he's going to get 100 targets. Just by simple math, he's going to get 100 targets. And if he gets 100 targets and he catches 70 balls and they win, he's got a chance to be rookie of the year. You can throw up that long shot. Go ahead. Think about this. Think about this. What makes the Packers offense so damn effective is not the scheme and design, and I don't mean to, dis, to, to discredit LaFleur. However, it's the, it's the ability of the quarterback to be pinpoint accurate. I mean, Adams had 169 targets last year. He caught 123 balls. That ratio is remarkable. It's remarkable. I mean, you know, Scanlon had 55 ca- attempts. He only caught 26 balls. Tells you the difference between the players, right? Even even Randall Cobb had thirty-nine balls thrown to him; he caught twenty-eight. That that's what you want. You want that, and that quarterback makes that happen. Let's throw up the second list for
4: Michael. See if anything stands out there. NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. Some some deeper and longer odds on some of these. You see Corral at twenty to one. You see dots in the
3: wide receiver. I mean, I think these are guys for next year. I, I mean, look, Spiller could be an interesting play at forty to one because you know I know Eckler's a hot guy in fantasy, and he certainly is is a really good player. But can he actually stay healthy? Spiller could he be the back that comes in and runs and kind of carries their offense and vaults them up the up the road? I think that's certainly something to consider. You know, I, I don't see you know. Do I trust Carson left-handed Wentz to throw the ball to Dotson? The answer to that, I'll give it to you quickly, is no. (laughs) So, you know, I I don't see how that happens. Hey, there's your boy
4: Malik Willis sitting at 25-1 to on the board. (laughs) Would you consider that St. Jude's? Yes, I would. I think so. That's
3: the same. I mean, mean, first of all, he's not ready to play. It's not fair to the kid to put him in there. You know, it's going to be a challenge for him just to get to be the backup you know, to be the backup. You know, I think you want to follow a guy who's going to – comp. I mean, look, what what made Mac Jones successful last year? Well, the Patriots had a good offense. They schemed around him. Okay, he didn't win Rookie of the Year, but he could have. What made, uh, what made uh, Jamar Chase? Joe Burrow. I mean, if they don't have Joe Burrow, uh, is Chase the Rookie of the Year? I doubt it, right? Right. No,
4: you're 100% right. You are 1,000.
3: 000- so you've got to pair up. You've got to pair up. The back, I mean, James Cook, the running back, you know, really a huge void for Buffalo, the running back. I mean, Devin Singletary is a good player. Is he a full time player? But you get this Georgia running back who's got good size, he's got versatility to go with Josh Allen. And if he goes in there and takes over, and, you know, Buffalo plays as well offensively as we think we do, there's a chance. It's 16 to 1, pretty good odds. Well, I think
4: he nailed it. I think Watson's a great choice because you've got to pair up opportunity and circumstance. Right? This, right, this isn't just about individual talent.
3: Is a it's a mathematical game. You've got to figure. You got a. You got to figure out reps to get players ready, and you got to figure out who's going to make up for the, the 169 looks that Adams got. Now you say, well, he got them because he's Adams. Okay, he was doubled quite a bit, but he still got them. Somebody's somebody's going to get those looks. Maybe they may not get 170 of them. Maybe they'll get hundred. And then if he catches 70 passes of the 100, which is the ratio, which isn't even, which is probably not even a good ratio, considering how well Rodgers throws the ball, you know, you're looking at 70 catches, at average, and you know, and if they win, well, see, he replaced them. He did a nice job. I think it's a smart play. So... Those of us, and that's all of
4: us that haven't written a book, what happens now? You, you finish your end of it, which is a billion words, and you send it off to the publisher?
3: You send it to the publisher, you send it to your your, your agent, your book agent, and then you, you they're going to send you back the changes that they want to make. There's a lot of things I still need to do on the book that I've got to start making a list, but at least I have two huge documents that is a manuscript that I can then start to tailor and work on. And then I've got to go through and, and, and make sure that everything is kind of copacetic and the, the mistakes that I've made along the way correct.
4: And you're happy with it. You're happy with the book.
3: I, I, I'm happy with the last, I'm happy with the probably the three quarters of it. I think the beginning of the book, like anything you start, it's never kind of, it gets better as it goes along. So we'll just go back. But at least now the pressure of having to turn the manuscript is over, is no longer. I mean, I'm a two and a half months late on the manuscript.
4: You it got it done. longer than I thought. That's all that matters. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. Quite quite Thank you, Patrick. Okay. Enjoy your day off, Michael. I'll talk to you on Thursday, okay? Yeah, you
3: too. Okay. We'll get ready for the Preakness. I'll be ready for that yeah, Preakness. We'll, you we'll, we'll get into I'm gonna, it. I'm going to check all the hay out all over. <laughs> Odds
1: on next. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
0: Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats.
4: I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that i learned something about myself i honestly can't gush enough about freaky tales i'm so excited to share it with more people
0: if you like what you hear be sure to review like and subscribe to the scene to scene podcast an epic matchup between your two favorite teams and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with american express you breeze through the card member entrance stop by the lounge now it's almost tip off and everyone's already on their feet this is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.